If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 5. All right, Luke chapter 5. Luke is one of the Gospels. Uh, That's one of the books that basically tells us what Jesus uh, did while he was here during his ministry. All right, so we are continuing in a series that we have called Altered. All right, and what we are doing is we are looking at different passages where people have interacted with Jesus, and because of this interaction with Jesus, their life has been forever changed or altered. All right, like because of this interaction that they have. And I'm excited about where we're going today because I think there is something here uh, for every single one of us. All right, it doesn't matter if this is your first time uh, in a church or in our church. Um, It doesn't matter if you've been coming here since you were born. I think that there is something for each one of us today. All right, our lives are not perfect. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. And that means that there is more that God wants to do in us, right? So every single time we open up his word, we should be looking for things uh, that we can change, that he can do in us. We should be open to how God wants to change us. So I want us just to be ready for that to happen uh, this morning as we get ready to read out of God's word. So if you are able, if you are willing, uh, would you stand with me today as we read uh, from the Bible, all right? I love this. We, we change our physical posture when we stand. And what I have found so many times, when I change my physical posture of my body, like it just kind of signals something in my mind and in my heart, like, okay, let's get ready to change some posture. All right, so my hope is that as we stand, As silly as that may seem, that that change in physical posture kind of starts a change in the posture of our heart as well. So we are in Luke chapter 5. We are starting with verse 1. We'll read through verse 11. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and topped the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and follow Jesus. God, we just pray this morning, Lord, that you would just begin to speak to us right now. God, that we would be challenged in a new way, that we would see something new in this scripture if we've read it a hundred times before. God, if this is the first time that you would just speak clearly to us this morning. God, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So last week, we went through a, a larger chunk of scripture Uh, and I didn't really like how I did that. All right, so this week I'm going to change it up a little bit. Uh, I want to tell the story of what is happening here, and I want you to be able to follow along with the story in the Bible, uh, but I'm not going to necessarily read it out word for word uh, like we just got done doing. All right, so here's what's going to happen. If you have a paper Bible with you, you can actually flip over to Luke chapter 3. I'm going to start kind of there, just really briefly giving us uh, the surrounding of what's happening. All right, part of why we do this is I want us to put ourselves into the story today. 
All right, and I think it's easier to do that when we kind of just tell the story instead of necessarily reading the scripture. So I want us, as we go through this, to be thinking about Peter, thinking about what was going on in his mind, what he was thinking, uh, maybe the struggles he was having internally. And I want you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of Peter. All right, but uh, like, like last week, I want us to understand what is happening surrounding this passage. So I want us to look uh, at more than just what we read. All right, so our passage is in Luke chapter 5, but I want us to quickly look at how we got to Luke chapter 5. All right, so Luke chapter 3 is sort of the beginning of Jesus as an adult. All right, we have the baptism of Jesus, and that signifies the start of his ministry. His baptism is in the Jordan River, uh, down closer to Jerusalem. This is uh, in Luke chapter 3. Then in Luke 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He is tempted by Satan. Uh, This is happening again down closer to Jerusalem. All right, so I have a map that's going to be on the screen behind me, and I want us to kind of see where this is happening. So we are down at this red pin at the bottom of the screen. This is where Jesus kind of went. He went down there to be baptized. Uh, This is roughly where he was when he was tempted in the wilderness. All right, and he is hanging out down in this area. From this point, Jesus heads back north to the area of Galilee. All right, so you see that kind of red circle up there, the big body of water inside that circle, that's the Sea of Galilee. And you'll notice in the bottom left, there's Nazareth. Okay, and this is kind of that area uh, where Jesus begins to travel around and teach in synagogues. All right, this is where most of his ministry takes place, is inside of this red circle. All right. So, uh, the synagogue where he's teaching, this is like a community center more than it is a church. Uh, These were used for all sorts of things, uh, but one of the uses was for a time to gather together, to read scripture, and to kind of teach and and learn from each other. All right, and anyone could actually do this in the synagogue. This wasn't like uh, a priest was getting up and reading and teaching. They would have an assigned scripture reading for that day. Very much so like what would still happen in a lot of liturgical churches today. They would have an assigned scripture reading, and any male that was 13 or older could get up and read this scripture, and then basically kind of give their thoughts on it. All right, now they actually at this age would already be very versed in this, so they knew what they were talking about. Um, And then everyone would just kind of sit there, they'd listen, they would ask questions. So Jesus is traveling uh, around the area, and he is doing this. He's going into the synagogues, especially on the Sabbath, and he is reading whatever scripture they have for that day, and then he is teaching on it, and everyone is sitting there, and they are listening to this. And this brings him back to his hometown of Nazareth. All right, this is where he goes uh, one of the times when he's teaching, and in his hometown, he teaches in the synagogue. Um, the, The scripture that is assigned that day happens to be a prophetic scripture about the Messiah who's going to come and rescue them. Jesus reads this. He goes and he sits down and everyone in the place is staring at him like, aren't you going to say anything? And then Jesus says the very controversial line, this scripture has been fulfilled today. He is claiming to everybody there that this is about me. And they get incredibly upset and they try and push him off a cliff. And we have this weird moment where Jesus like teleports or like goes through a crowd of people. All right, it's just one of those times in scripture you're like, I don't know what just happened. But they're pushing him towards the cliff, and all of a sudden he just goes through the crowd of people and walks away. And he's gone. And he, he heads up to the area of Capernaum and continues to travel and teach in synagogues there. So he is, he's teaching, uh, especially on the Sabbath, and most Jewish people would find their way to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and anyone in this area would have heard Jesus teaching. 
All right, now what we need to remember is this area that he's in, this area of Capernaum, this is where almost all of his disciples are going to be called from. His disciples are right there in this area. So there's a really good chance that his future disciples probably would have actually heard Jesus teach at some point when we look at this. These are the things, like when we look at Scripture, it it doesn't always lay this out black and white, but when you look at what's happening in the timeline of what's going on, Jesus was teaching in this area. These men would have been frequenting the synagogue and listening to whoever was teaching. So in Luke chapter 4, Verse 31, Jesus is teaching in Capernaum, and a demon-possessed man comes in and starts screaming at Jesus, and I'm sure everyone in the room is staring at this guy, then staring at Jesus, like, what is he going to do? And Jesus actually then kind of confronts the man, confronts the demon, casts the demon out, uh, and it's this probably amazing thing. Like, basically, think about it like this. Like, have you ever gone to church and something crazy happened, and you still remember that, you still talk about it? Like, Remember that time at church? Like, I remember this, one of my last churches. There was a guy that, maybe a little bit like this, got up in the back while the pastor was preaching and just started screaming at him. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh. You're like kind of looking back and forth. You're just like, I wonder how this is going to play out. This is really interesting. I didn't expect this this morning. You know, like, and I remember that day. I remember what happened. That's how these people would be. They are going to remember this moment where Jesus does this. Now, from here, it looks like Simon, who will later be called Peter, one of the main disciples, that Simon is probably at the synagogue that day when this happens. Because if you read, it says immediately following this, Jesus goes to the house of Simon. And he goes there and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. All right? And so he goes to Simon Peter's house. He actually heals his mother-in-law. Whether Peter wanted that or not, I don't know what his relationship with his mother-in-law looks like. All right? But he heals his mother-in-law. And then people start bringing all sorts of sick people, demon-possessed people to Jesus right there. And he begins to heal them. All right? So Peter is having this crazy moment. He's seeing all of this happen. And he is not a disciple yet. After this, Jesus continues to travel around the area teaching. All right, so it it looks like he leaves and kind of goes around teaching for a bit. This would be like if someone kind of traveled between Long Prairie and Browerville and Clarissa and Little Falls, Sock Center, Osakis, and they're just kind of a guest speaker and they're teaching. All right, it actually would probably even be a smaller area than that. But that's what kind of makes sense to us nowadays because we can travel so much faster. All right, so and this brings us to chapter 5. This is what leads up to chapter 5. And I think lots of times we miss the end of chapter 4 and what is going on with Peter and Jesus there. So as Jesus travels, uh, he's teaching, he finds himself on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this crowd wants to listen to Jesus. So he's teaching, and the crowd begins to grow. More and more people want to come and hear Jesus. Uh, Well, almost everybody is standing there listening to Jesus that's kind of part of this crowd. Funny enough, when you read it, Peter is not in this crowd. Peter is a little ways, it looks like, down the shore. And he is um, working. He's perfectly content being a little ways down the shore, cleaning his fishing nets, uh, and just kind of doing his job as a fisherman. So Jesus is teaching. People are all pushing around, trying desperately to be able to hear him. And Jesus does something here. He wants to preach to as many people as he can. But it looks like he also wants to engage one person specifically, 
who is not engaged yet. And he walks over to where Peter is cleaning his nets. And he asks Peter to push his boat out into the water so Jesus can teach to the whole crowd. All right, now the shoreline by Capernaum has these little bays. All right, <clears throat> you can see them right here. So someone uh, in a boat could get pushed out into the middle of this bay and they could talk in probably a pretty close to a regular voice and it would carry across the water and anybody standing along the shore of that bay would be able to hear them. So Jesus is just taking advantage uh, of the, the natural ground that's around him. All right, now, now this, what he asked Peter to do, this would be a minor inconvenience to Peter, but he obliges him, and, and probably because of what Jesus has done in the past. Peter and Jesus have had interactions. Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, can you help me out? He's probably like, well, I kind of owe you. You healed my mother-in-law. All right, I'll push this boat out. So now the whole crowd can hear him. Uh, and we don't know what Jesus is specifically teaching, but Peter has a front row seat to whatever it is that he's teaching. Peter is sitting right there at the feet of Jesus. And when Jesus finishes teaching, he looks at Peter and tells Peter to go out deeper into the water and put his nets down. Now, this is a major moment right here. There are a few things happening in Peter's mind if he's like any other fisherman. Um, and I want us to think through kind of what's going in his mind as he's trying to make this decision. Uh, this decision comes down to, does he trust Jesus or not? All right? He has listened to him teach in the synagogue. He has seen him cast out demons. His mother-in-law was healed. But all of that together wasn't enough um, for Peter to leave his nets and actually go down the shore and listen to Jesus teach. Peter was still cleaning his nets. Apparently, Jesus hadn't done enough yet. And now, after this teaching, we're going to find out. Because Peter was choosing work over Jesus. And right here, he has to make a choice. Uh, but this is no longer a minor inconvenience like pushing his boat out was. All right, this, this is a pretty major inconvenience. All right, I want to lay this out for us. He has spent the day cleaning his nets from fishing the night before. All right, that's important. Dirty nets would not catch fish. Dirty nets wouldn't move through the water the way they are supposed to. Think about any net. Like I think about times where I've, I've netted a fish that is even getting reeled in and you're just netting right there next to the boat. Half the time you pull it up and there's seaweed, there's other things all over the net and you clean it off. All right, this would be, this is a massive net that's been all through the water. He also would have been repairing the nets from any damage from the night before. All right, this is tons of time that Peter is putting in to his nets right here. And if he puts the nets down into the water again, he is going to have to start over with all of the work that he has done. He's going to have to start over. That is time away from his family. Uh, Peter, we know, is married because he has a mother-in-law. All right, this also would probably cost him money because by the time he comes back in and has to get them cleaned for that night's fish, he would have to probably hire somebody else to come and help him clean. He's already spent most of the day cleaning it. Now he's got to clean it again. He needs help to do this. It's going to cost him time. It's going to cost him money. And the biggest thing that's going to cost Peter, if he goes out and puts his nets down, is it's going to cost him pride. All right? Jesus was the son of a craftsman, of a carpenter. And he is trying to tell a professional fisherman how to fish. All right? Fishing was something that was primarily done at night, and they had just fished all night, and they got nothing. So why would going out and going fishing 
during the day be a good idea. Right? It wasn't. It was a terrible idea. Peter knew that. But for some reason, maybe something had changed in Peter's heart as he sat in the boat while Jesus was teaching. Um, Peter decided to trust Jesus in this moment. He was going to pay the cost. And he would put down the nets. He would wash them again. He would pay people to help him so that he was ready for that night. He would spend time away from his family. And he would look like a moron in front of all of his other fellow fishermen as he puts his nets down when you're not going to catch any fish. They drop the nets and what happens almost actually destroys their business. Like think about this. The nets begin to tear. That is not a repair that you can make. That's not fixing one little spot. If the nets tear, you're done. The boats almost sink. All right? Like it's, it's a hassle if you sink a boat nowadays. But they didn't have a crane that's going to come out and pull that boat out or anything. Like if, if the boats sink and the nets tear, their business is done. Like this miracle, it almost, it's so, fishing was so good, it was such a good day of fishing that it was a bad day of fishing. Like that doesn't make sense necessarily, but that's, this is what's happening. And Peter seems to realize that there's something more going on here because his response to this situation with fish is to notice his own faults and how sinful he is. Like he, he turns to Jesus and says, please leave me. Like I, I'm not good enough to be in your presence It's odd that he didn't have this response to his mother-in-law being healed. Or demons being casted out in front of him. But he has it here. And Peter's business partners, they're also amazed. Uh, they all go back to the shore and they leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Uh, that, that's a ton of money that they left behind. Realize all the fish they just pulled in. Like, you know what I would want to do? I'd be like, okay, Jesus, 10 minutes. Let us cash in. Like, you, you see what we have here. Let us cash in. We'll be good. And we take the money with us. Think of all the good we can do. But this isn't even a thought on their mind. They, just, they drop everything and they leave. All right, so I'm not sure if you've ever read this portion of scripture like this before. All right, pulling in everything that's going on with Peter. Uh, but it gives you a different view on it. And, and there are times where I have struggled to connect with the, the parts of passage that have talked about the calling of the disciples. Right? Like Jesus walks out to somebody and he's like, hey, you, follow me. Okay, and they just like drop everything and walk away. You're like, what is going on here? Um, and, you know, I don't think that, that that could have happened for some of them. Absolutely. Like Jesus was a, there's just something about Jesus that obviously drew people to him. But I think we can also see here that more than likely, a lot of these guys probably had a little bit of knowledge of who Jesus was. Maybe a little bit of experience with him. And I love this passage in Luke because it lays it out for us, what is happening with Peter. And I connect with this idea of Peter's calling being a process a lot more and what happens through this process. All right, now, as we read through this story of Peter, we might find ourselves relating to him at different parts, all right? If you were, if you were thinking through Peter's eyes and you were kind of looking at what's happening, you might find yourself relating to Peter at different times here. And I see this calling, kind of falling into three different phases that I want us to look at really quickly, all right? So the first phase is this. The first thing that I want us to remember is this. Trusting Jesus completely starts by simply being around him. All right, th this is true of any relationship. Relationships grow deeper the more you get to know somebody. The more you get to know them, the more you will hopefully begin to trust them, all right, if they're a good person. Maybe you get to know them and you trust them less, where this started for Peter was him showing up to the synagogue, 
Spending time uh, listening to Jesus teach, watching how Jesus interacted with others, how Jesus handled tough questions, how he handled tough situations. From there, he actually invites Jesus over to his house. Uh, His mother-in-law is sick. She needs to be healed. Jesus heals her. All right, Peter is watching as Jesus does this for his mother-in-law and for many other people. If you want to reach a place in your life where you trust Jesus completely, where Jesus can say, come, follow me, and you drop everything and go, realize that it starts by just spending basic time with him. All right? Everything starts somewhere. Every relationship starts somewhere. It starts by being at church, being around other believers, spending time reading through the Bible, getting to know his voice. All right, don't look down on the basic foundation of building a relationship and getting to know somebody. Every relationship has to start at a basic level. But for Peter, it looks like Jesus uh, took off. He begins teaching a few other places after he starts this basic relationship, being around him. Peter probably wasn't having the same interactions with Jesus anymore as Jesus is traveling. Jesus comes back, and then we begin to see the next phase that Peter kind of is in. All right, maybe... And Peter's just hanging by the shore. And he doesn't feel the need to go over and listen to Jesus. He's cleaning his nets. Maybe Peter felt like he'd already heard everything that Jesus had to say. Maybe he was just hanging out uh, in the background. Maybe he felt that Jesus was good, but work was more important. As we look at what's going on with Peter, we need to understand this. This is our second thing. We can't be satisfied with just being in the vicinity of Jesus. All right, like Peter was in the vicinity of Jesus. He was nearby, but he wasn't engaged with what Jesus was doing. Everything was still on Peter's terms. At some point, the basic parts of a relationship become boring. All right, and the relationship will either grow deeper or it'll begin to stagnate, like stagnate and die. Like it's just going to plateau. And then it's going to move towards death. This is every relationship. But your relationship with God is no different. For too many Christians, they reach a point where they are at church. They're around other believers. uh, They've seen Jesus move in other people's lives. Maybe they've even had an experience or two themselves. But then they just stay at that spot. All right, Jesus for them is something that is happening in the background as they work and live their lives. Like, yeah, every once in a while, I can kind of hear Jesus over there. He's teaching to some other people. He's talking to, he's talking to people in my family. I kind of hear what he's doing as I listen to what he's doing through them. But he's just kind of a background noise. And, and, and they aren't really engaged. Right? Like, he's great, but he isn't something worth missing work for. He's great, but I have other stuff that needs my attention. So I'll just keep letting him going in the background, and my attention and my focus are actually going to be somewhere else. And for some Christians, this following Jesus thing, uh, maybe it's been happening for a few years, maybe a few decades, but we feel like, I've heard it, I've seen it all. I've been to church so many times, there's not a passage in the Bible that I have not heard someone preach on. All right, I've sang every song that we sing countless times. It's just kind of, I've done this. So when I show up, I kind of slip into autopilot and everything's just kind of the same old, same old. All right? And any time a relationship becomes stagnant and sits in one spot, 
and loses the excitement that it once had, it starts to move towards the end of the relationship. That's what happens. So how do you avoid this? You become more engaged, more involved. You grow deeper in the relationship. You give the relationship more attention, greater understanding. And through that, it begins to grow. Jesus walks over. He does not let Peter sit on the sidelines anymore. He engages him in what is happening. Then Peter sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to him teach. And then everything takes a big step up. Up until this point, Peter has been along for the ride. Uh, He has been a spectator at every step of the way. Okay, and now Jesus is about to pull him into it. And it's that time that Peter has to get some skin in the game. All right, so our, our last phase, the last thing I want us to take is this. The more something costs you, the more you will be invested in it. The more something costs you, the more you will be invested in it. If it doesn't cost you anything, you are not invested. When we do mission trips with teenagers, we have done this thing where we say the teenager themselves, out of their pocket, must pay usually two to four hundred dollars themselves. Like this is what we want because we want kids invested. I've had times where kids send out letters and all the money comes in, and all of a sudden they are not invested in what's happening in this trip. Like you have to get some skin in the game. So Jesus asked Peter to truly get involved. It's going to cost Peter something now. No longer is it on Peter's terms. It was on Jesus' terms. Jesus was setting the cost. Up until this point, nothing in the relationship had cost Peter anything. He showed up to the synagogue like he always would. He had Jesus over to his house, and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. But he didn't have to do anything for that to happen. All Peter was doing was receiving. He was receiving over and over and over. Peter had not given anything yet. And then Jesus asked him to make a choice. And basically says, are you in or are you not? And if you're in, it's going to cost you. It's going to take you making a conscious effort to be involved and to give up other things. This is when Jesus told him to take the boat deeper and let the nets down. For Peter to take this relationship to the next level, it was going to cost him his time. It was going to cost him money. And most importantly, it was going to cost him his pride and his independence that he wanted to have. And because of the trust that was built previously while listening to Jesus, by the time that he spent with him and him being willing to take that next step, when he began to pay the cost, he became fully invested. The moment he paid the cost, he was in. It didn't cost anything for him to receive miracles initially. And it wasn't until it cost him that we began to see God truly work in him as well. When Jesus told him to leave everything and follow him, it was easy to do because Peter had already paid the price. He was fully invested. And those are the people that God uses in amazing ways because they are all in. They aren't holding anything back. So if your relationship with God seems boring to you, can I challenge you that maybe it's because you aren't paying a high enough price? If your relationship, if you're like, I've seen all this before, I've done all this before, I kind of just go to appease the people around me. If your relationship with Jesus is boring, I'm going to bet that it might be that the cost that you're paying isn't high enough. That you're just 
receiving in that relationship. You're not giving. Maybe you're still trying to hang on to your own way of doing things. Right? Like you might be trying to live your life, do your own thing, and Jesus is just kind of part of the background like he was for Peter while he's cleaning his nets. God calls us to give him everything, all that we are, every breath that we have, uh, and paying any price short of that, he's actually going to leave us unsatisfied. That's the weird thing about this. That's when we start to feel like we've done all this before and nothing is new. So can we do this? Can we stand across the place as we get ready to close? Carrie, you can come on up. I think that for the most part, uh, across this room, that every one of us, myself included, in some way falls into one of these three categories, all right, these phases of kind of our walk with Jesus. Or maybe you are at the place where you need to build the basic foundation of your relationship. You need more time with Jesus so that you can trust him more. You need to just begin to spend more time in his presence. The way that Peter was just kind of listening to him teach, spending time around him, inviting him over to his house. Like, what, what does your personal relationship, your personal time with Jesus look like? And if Sunday morning is all that it is, you're going to be in a place where you're not ever going to be satisfied. Peter was not the only one sitting in the synagogue listening to Jesus teach. Jesus traveled and taught a lot. A lot of people would have heard him. But not all of them were his disciples. Not all of them truly became engaged in what was happening. So maybe you need to just kind of take that little step forward and begin to say, how do I spend more time with Jesus? How do I spend more time with him so I can get to know him better so that the relationship can go deeper, so that my trust in him can grow, so that when he does speak to me and say, hey, can you push your boat out, a minor inconvenience, you're willing to say, yeah, I'll take that step, because I trust you a little bit more than what I used to. But then you reach that spot, maybe you're here today, and you feel like you're stuck in that spot, where everything's just kind of boring. Jesus is kind of just part of the background. He's just there. Right? He's there. He's in your life. But he's kind of a little distance away. You're in the vicinity of him. You got the right idea. And if you stay in that spot, that relationship is, it, it, it's in decline. Relationships don't stay in the same spot. Right? Like if you're married, either you are growing closer together or you're growing further apart. There is no flat line in a relationship. Either you're learning more about them or you aren't. And I think this is where a lot of, a lot of Christians very easily slip into this. And you can stay there for years and decades without realizing it. But then I think the last phase that 
maybe a lot of us are in, hopefully we are, is, is just this phase of constantly reevaluating the cost of our relationship with Jesus. How much am I paying in this relationship? Do I need to be paying more? Maybe in my relationship with him, it's just kind of like, hey, there's this exchange where I give him 75 minutes on Sunday morning and he keeps me safe as I drive my car home from church. You know, like, I, I don't know what that exchange is, but like, what is the cost in this relationship for you? And I, and I want you to stop and think right now. Has there been a time where Jesus has asked you to pay something? What I mean by that is he has asked you to step out in faith and do something that you didn't feel comfortable with. And you, in that moment, were not ready to pay that cost. Where he says, hey, I want you to go and talk to this person. I want you to give up this in your life. I want you to change your career and go in this direction. I want you to befriend that person who bothers you. Emily and I were talking about this this week. I think most of us would say, like, I want my neighbors to find Jesus. Right? But then there's some of those neighbors that are just really annoying, and you're like, I want you to find Jesus. But are we willing to actually build the friendship with them that is going to be the bridge that gets them to Jesus? Or even more than that, what if, what if your neighbor finds Jesus, and Jesus doesn't change everything that aggravates you about them? We might even sit there and say, they didn't find Jesus. Because they still play music at this time of the, you know, like, whatever it is. Or, or they're still parking closer to my driveway than they're supposed to. Their dog is still running into our yard. You know, like, we have these things. What if Jesus is just saying, like, would you pay this cost? Would you, would you be friends with people that, that you don't want to be friends with? Like, what, what is the cost that he is asking you? So I want us to do this. I, I want to just, I want to pray over us. I want us to, during this time, every single one of us in the room, can you just begin to think, first, which one of these places do you find yourself in? Are you at a spot where you need to be building more trust and spending more time with Jesus? Now the reality is that's all of us. But like, is that really where you are at? Where you're like, you know, I just don't really even know if I trust him at all yet. And you need to start somewhere building that trust. Or are you at the spot where you've just been stuck now? Or are you at the spot where you aren't paying a high enough price? And Jesus has called you to do things and maybe you've ignored. Or you want to be ready for when he does speak to you. So I want us, each one of us just to begin to pray right now where you're at. Just begin to talk with Jesus this morning. What does this relationship look like? Has it been based on the people around you? God, I pray right now, Lord, for every single one of us in this room, wherever it is that we find ourselves this morning, God, that you would move us closer to you. 
God, for those of us in the room that maybe are a little bit disengaged right now, God, that you would walk right up to us like you did Peter. That you would you would invade our life this week. God, that something would happen this week where we are put on a crossroads, where we have to make a decision. Am I in or am I not? God, I pray for those in our family, Lord, that maybe, maybe as we sit here and listen to this today, we're able to figure out where we are, but at the same time, we just have someone else on our heart, someone else in our family. And we can't help but think about them as we listen to this. God, I pray right now that you would engage that family member. You would engage that friend this week. That your presence would be made known in their life. That they would have this moment where they kind of come face to face with you and they have a decision to make. Jesus, that you would just challenge us to never be satisfied with where our relationship with you is at. That we would always be wanting to grow closer to you. Jesus, no price is too high because you've paid everything for us so that we could have this relationship. Last thing before we go. If you're here this morning and maybe you feel like you, you've never taken a step into a relationship with Jesus, and maybe you feel like you want to this morning, you want to start this relationship with him. I want to give you an opportunity. And in just a moment, I'm going to have you just slip your hand up. We're not going to point you out. We're not going to embarrass you, anything like that. But I want to give you a moment right now with you and God to say, I want to do this. And this really is something between you and him. But again, like we said even earlier, there are times where physically we need to do something with our body to truly signify what is happening in our heart. And I want to give you that opportunity. So if that's you this morning, you want to start a relationship with Jesus, can you just slip your hand up? Yeah. And can we do this together just as a church this morning? I, I want to say something. This is not magic words, anything like that. But this is something that if we, if we say this and we mean this, this can change our life forever. It's not a magic formula. It's more of you making a declaration over yourself, over your life right now that this is what you want to do. So can we just repeat this together this morning, church? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking away all my mistakes. I want to surrender my life to you. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that, guys? That's the best decision we can make. I want to just challenge us this morning. This week, what cost can we be paying? What do we need to be doing? How can we be more engaged with Jesus than we were last week? All right, that, that's our challenge as we go. So thank you guys for being here. You guys are dismissed.